Good morning, everyone. Let's, uh, let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 13, please. And it's my great privilege to preach to you a message entitled, Spirit-Empowered Mission. Spirit-Empowered Mission. Last week we entitled the message, Spirit-Led Mission. This week it's Spirit-Empowered Mission. The one who is controlling the mission is the Holy Spirit. He's leading, he's empowering. So let's read this morning together, Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 4. Spirit-empowered mission. Here it is. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, They proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now this text is about opposition to the word of God. There's nine verses in this text. Five of them talk about this confrontation, this power encounter between the Apostle Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the word of God, and the magician Elemis, filled with a decidedly unholy spirit, opposing the Word of God. And it's some pretty spectacular stuff that occurs. We will get to the details in just a moment. But this opposition to the Word of God is not restricted to the apostle and the magician in the first century. No, this opposition to God's Word is something we experience in the 21st century. It may not be as spectacular We may not be blinding people who oppose God's word, but nonetheless, at times we are blind to God's word. At times we're in a mist. At times we quite don't get it. At times it feels like we're running through molasses trying to receive and live God's word. So this text, this text speaks to us as believers to pray and to ask God to fill us with his spirit because there is opposition to God's word. Let me tell you right now, my friend, there is opposition to God's word in your mind right now, in this auditorium right now. Why? Because God has enemies. And wherever God's word is proclaimed, there God's enemies will oppose it, whether physical or spiritual. I don't doubt that both may occur this morning. But here's that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the power of Jesus Christ, name above all names, the power of the Holy Spirit will enable us 
to overcome that opposition. And I appeal to you in the name of Jesus Christ, overcome the opposition right now to this word. Overcome whatever it is that is distracting you, whatever it is that is opposing this, whatever that little voice is saying, this isn't true, I don't really believe this, I'm not interested. Oh friend, in the name of Jesus, pay attention. Because God is speaking. So let me pray to that end. Father, it is a great, great joy to gather with my friends to worship you this morning. You have commanded it in your word, and so we're obeying you. And we are worshiping you. We are singing to you. We are now listening to your word. And so, Father, I pray in Jesus' name, would you send your spirit to capture our attention, to overcome the opposition of our own feeble minds, our own foolish philosophies, our own excuses, our own pride. Lord, for many of us, just our own inability to sometimes understand it. Lord, deliver us from evil and the evil one who is seeking to oppose, who's seeking to make noise, distract, minimize, ridicule. Jesus, build your church. And may the gates of hell not prevail against it. Build us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was younger, one of the things that interested me greatly was uh, the Foreign Service, the State Department. Maybe it's because my parents were immigrants. I've always had a curiosity about other countries. It's in my heart. It's in my blood. I, I love going and seeing other cultures and learning about them. And, and so the State Department, which really was, uh, whose mission statement really is to represent the United States of America throughout the world. They typically do that through embassies and ambassadors. And they represent what our interests are in the world. They represent what our government has to say. In a sense, they carry the word of the United States into foreign lands. In fact, our Secretary of the State right now uh, is traveling in the Middle East. He was just in Egypt yesterday down here at the bottom. He was in Turkey on Friday, which is that area that you see, Cappadocia, Galatia. That's modern-day Turkey. And then he's going to be moving to the Middle East I think the rest of the weekend. He's coming with the word of our nation, representing our interests, as do our ambassadors when they go to a country, as do those who work in the embassy, not just the ambassador, but there are typically the the deputy chief of mission, the foreign service officers, the foreign service specialists, and then there's representatives of many other U.S. agencies, such as the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, their staff. They're all there to do one thing, represent our interests, represent our nation, our government, our kingdom, as it were, in a foreign land. And sometimes it can get a little dicey particularly when the foreign land in which they are trying to represent us and speak our word is hostile against our government, against our leader, against our nation. Recently, a movie uh, won the Academy Award by the name of Argo, and it's the story of such hostility against our embassy at that time in Iran in the late 70s and the story of a covert CIA operation to to uh, smuggle out several of our embassy workers who would have been killed had they not been smuggled out. What was their crime? Simply that we represented the United States of America. There was hostility against our government, therefore there was opposition against them and what they were doing. And we all know very, very sadly that it, this did result in death when on September 11, 2012, just last year, our ambassador to Libya, Chris Stevens, was brutally murdered and many lost their life or were injured. Why? Many of those people, perhaps the people that killed him, didn't even know who he was. It didn't matter. He was representing the United States of America. He was speaking the word of our government, and he was doing it in a hostile land. 
And so he was opposed. He was killed. In much the same way, friends, we are here, not necessarily as ambassadors. We're here as foreign service workers. We're here as specialists in agriculture. We're, we're here, you know, some of you guys may be here as, you know, that guy that fakes being one thing, but he's actually the CIA operative. Who knows? I can just imagine a few of you being here doing that. But seriously, we are here in God's embassy, representing God, God's interests, God's kingdom, God's world in a hostile land. And we must wake up to that fact. Because every day that you get up in this hostile land, there are forces that are going to oppose you, whether it's propaganda and lies in your head from the enemy, whether it's your own flesh that at times betrays you and wonders, who are you? Or whether it's the world system that is banging at the gates, that is clamoring to charge the gates and take them captive or even kill them like they did in Benghazi, Libya, September 11, 2012. We are here identifying with a different king, a different kingdom, a different government, speaking his word. And we're going to be opposed. And that's good news. Because though we have the opposition of God's enemies, we have the support of God. And I'll take the latter. I mean, I'd like to just live in peace and just everybody, you know, be happy. Can't we all just get along? But if I have to choose my enemy it would be those hostile to God, not God. I'm happy to represent God. Sometimes I'm a bit of a coward. Sometimes I don't speak when I should, but I'm happy to represent you, Lord. I'm happy to speak your word, Lord, but we've got to understand this. If we do that, we're going to receive opposition, and I want you to understand and embrace it. Five of these nine verses are about the opposition, the confrontation, this power encounter between the Apostle Paul and the magician Elemis. Why? Because that's what God wants us to see. Listen, Luke, Luke is recording what happened when they hit Cyprus. They were in Cyprus for a while. They traversed the whole island. He kind of summarizes what happens there very quickly, but then he takes, he takes five verses and talks about this magician and this power encounter. You've got to ask yourself, why? I believe it's for this reason. We are in a foreign land. We are being opposed. And God wants us to know that. But more importantly, he wants us to know this, and I believe it's the main point of the message. Where the Holy Spirit sends us, there the Holy Spirit empowers us for his mission. I believe this is the point here. Where the Holy Spirit sends us. Where did he send these guys? To Cyprus. The Holy Spirit empowers us there where he sends us for his mission. So there is opposition, but then there's power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that's what God wants you to know this morning. Where has the Holy Spirit sent us? Friends, he sent us into this foreign land that is hostile. He sent us in harm's way. I mean, you have this scripture, they were sent. Look at verse 4. You have this scripture, they were sent by the Holy Spirit. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they, they proclaimed the word of God. They were sent out by the Holy Spirit. And point one, they were sent out by the Holy Spirit to do what? To proclaim the word of God. Just like we sent an ambassador to proclaim our word, our policy, our nation's interests and rights. So God, the Holy Spirit, sent them into a foreign land, a hostile land, to proclaim the word of God. And he did it on this island called Cyprus. Cyprus. Let's show the map there, the second map of Cyprus. Cyprus is a key island in the Mediterranean. It is the third largest island in the Mediterranean, and it really guards and is very strategic to the eastern Mediterranean. It was also the homeland of Barnabas. It's an island that had many Greek speakers, Greek-speaking Jews, And so the question is, why Cyprus? 
Why did the Holy Spirit lead them to Cyprus? Well, he may have used the fact that it was Barnabas' homeland. He may have used some of the relationships that Barnabas had with those on the island to lead that team there. Remember, remember, Stephen was the first martyr. He was killed in Jerusalem. (laughs) And when that happened, many... Jewish believers were scattered, what's called the diaspora. They were scattered all over the then-known world. And so many people believe that some of them left Jerusalem, got on a boat, and went to Cyprus. So maybe, And maybe Barnabas knew some of them. Remember, he was part of the church in Jerusalem. So maybe the Holy Spirit used relationships. Maybe the Holy Spirit used the fact that Barnabas is from the island of Cyprus. It could be very, very... Uh, true that Barnabas took the initiative on going to Cyprus, led by the Holy Spirit? Now we know in 13.3 that they prayed and fasted, that the whole church prayed and fasted. And so I'm comfortable, we should be comfortable with the fact that it's the Holy Spirit that sent them, but he used the agency of a man, of a person, probably Barnabas. But there's no doubt. Verse 4 tells us clearly. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Why is that important? Well, because it made me think about the planting of Palm Vista Community Church. I don't know if you know that story or not. We just uh, celebrated our 16th birthday. So we're teenagers. And um, yeah, I'm from Miami. You probably did know that. And so part of the deal was God just put it in my heart to come back to my hometown, a hometown that I felt much like Cyprus was strategic for the Eastern Mediterranean. Miami is strategic for Latin America, for the Caribbean. So he put it in our hearts to come here and plant a church that would serve South Florida. There would be a church planting church that would serve the Caribbean and South America. And can I just say thank you, church, for responding to the spirits sending you to be a big part of proclaiming God's word and building Palm Vista Community Church. Thank you. Thank you. And and notice that the Spirit sent a team. If you notice there in verse um, 4, when they, 5, excuse me, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. This is John Mark. So God, the Holy Spirit, sends a team using Barnabas' relationships, the fact that it's hometown, the strategic nature of Cyprus, and says, that's where I want you to go. I'm going to send you there to proclaim the gospel. And he sends with them John Mark, who probably helped teach and probably helped baptize these converts in the same way that the Spirit sent Tim and Marianne Kelso along with their two daughters, Emily and Jenna. Mariah, you weren't born yet, but you were there in the spirit, I guess. (laughs) Back in 1997. Same way. To assist in the planting of this church. They relocated from Orlando. John Mark relocated from Jerusalem, because remember, it was his mom's home where they had the big prayer meeting when Peter got uh, delivered from Herod, and he went to the prayer meeting. It was John Mark's mom's home. She was a wealthy woman in Jerusalem. So John Mark relocated from Jerusalem. The Kelsos relocated from Orlando. In case you don't know, the Kelsos are not Hispanic. (laughs) They were very comfortable in Orlando, like I'm sure John Mark was in Jerusalem. But like John Mark, they said, I'll go, Lord, in whatever foreign country you send me. And guys... Yeah, metaphorically, you're in a foreign country because this isn't, you know, the kingdom, kingdom of God, right? You know, is in heaven, but literally, you're in a foreign country. <laughs> I just, I just want to honor them because, because they, they are pillars of the church. They're family, and Mariah, you, you're born into a, a rich heritage in your family. Um, talk to your parents more about some of the history and enjoy it. I was the youngest in my family, so there are a lot of family photos without me in them, okay? And there's a lot of family stories without me in them. I'm 10 years younger than my brother and 7 years younger than my sister, so I know exactly how you feel. But the cool thing is, there's a history 
in a sense, you can get on their shoulders and the shoulders of your sisters, and the Lord's going to use you, I believe, in some powerful ways. I didn't plan on saying that. I believe the Holy Spirit's saying that, okay? All right. You didn't miss out on anything. The best is yet to come. All right. So, teams relocate to plant the church. What are they doing? They're proclaiming the gospel in foreign lands, often hostile to the gospel. Now, notice, when it says that, they proclaim the gospel in verse 5. If you would please look at verse 5 again. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Typically, when you see that verbiage, they proclaim the word of God, what it is talking about is that they are teaching about Jesus Christ as Israel's Messiah and Savior. And typically in the book of Acts, when you see this verbiage, preaching the word of God or proclaiming the word of God, most often, almost all the time, there are converts that are won by this. So it's, it's, it's shorthand for saying people are getting saved. They are declaring and proclaiming God's word. They are bearing witness of Jesus Christ. And there are conversions and churches are being planted. They started in the upper right-hand eastern portion of the island, Salamis. They sailed from Seleucia. And then they worked their way about 112 miles. They walked to Paphos, which is the capital city of the island of Cyprus. It took them a long time to do that. You don't walk 112 miles quickly. And they stopped and preached the word. So you've got this. This is a pretty good amount of time that's going on. And they're preaching the word, and it's having success. How do I know it's having success? Just look real quickly. This is something you can do when you're studying the word. Look at um, Acts 15.39. You ask yourself, well, I wonder what was happening there. Look at Acts 15.39. You can start putting this together in the book of Acts. And I encourage you to build the timeline of what's happening in the book of Acts. Make it a project there for school. And try to figure out when's happening where and where is he traveling. Get a map of the Mediterranean. But look at Acts 15.39. And it says the following. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark, that's John Mark, with him and sailed over to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been committed to the Lord by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And they went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So what we see there is that Barnabas and John Mark go back to Cyprus Probably, and I think this is very, very logical to assume this, doing the same thing that Paul and and, uh, Silas did in in Asia, strengthening the churches that are there. They assisted with the churches that are there. So what's the point? The point is that the Holy Spirit sent them to proclaim the word, and that word was producing fruit. And it's interesting. The Holy Spirit sends them to proclaim the word in the synagogue. Now remember, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. Isn't it curious that the apostle to the Gentiles starts by preaching the word of God in the synagogue? Why did he do this? Well, one thought is that he was convinced of what he would write in Romans 1.16, that the gospel is the power of salvation, the power of God for salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So he was just practicing that. Perhaps as well, this has a deeper biblical theological, which is just shorthand for the story of redemption, the history of redemption, and it's great to follow that history. Well, remember, back in the Old Testament, there was a prophecy that Isaiah wrote. I think it'll come up on your screen there. Isaiah 49.6, and it says this. He says, "'Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant?' to raise up the tribes of Jacob, that's Israel, and to bring back the uh, preserved of Israel, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So this prophecy sounds an awful lot like the great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples in Acts 1.8. You will go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth bearing witness of me. So, 
In the history of redemption, perhaps what Paul was doing, he had an eye toward the Gentiles, but he's saying, I'm going to preach the gospel to the Jew first. We're going to fulfill our call to be a light to the nations. But before we can be a light to the nations, he's got to restore us to be his true people in Jesus Christ and the covenant of Jesus. And so the true Israel now is is being um, built by the word of God, and it includes Gentiles who will very soon, we're going to see in this narrative, come to faith in Christ. So it's a fulfillment of the history of redemption. The Great Commission. What Jesus said in Acts 1.8, I referred to it, there it is on the screen, when he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. This is what happening. This is what happening. This is what is happening. The Holy Spirit is upon them. He is sending them. They are traveling westward. They're preaching the gospel. They're going from Salamis. They're going to Paphos, 112 miles, several weeks, months. Who knows? Someone knows, but I forgot. I read it, but I forgot how long. It was a while. And what happens? They're in foreign lands. What happens when they get to Paphos? They encounter opposition. They encounter opposition because of the word of God. For it says in verse 6 that when they arrived at Paphos, they met with someone. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician. A certain magician. A Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Luke inspired by the Holy Spirit, summarizes months, perhaps a year or so, of gospel activity where churches are planted and converts are made. He summarizes them in just a couple of verses, two really. And starting in verse 6, and moving us now all the way to verse, I think it is 10 or 11, verse 11, five of these verses, he's going to focus on one confrontation, on one power encounter with with this magician. Friends, God wants us to know two things here. The Holy Spirit sends us to proclaim the Word of God, and when we proclaim the Word of God, we will be opposed by God's enemies. Just like our embassy was attacked in Benghazi, Libya, I don't think they had anything personally against the people they killed. They had a lot against our government. They were our enemies. So they attacked our embassy. They opposed our representatives. They didn't want to listen to our ambassador. And so we have been sent into harm's way by the Spirit. He sends us where we're going to be opposed because he sends us with the message of the king, the kingdom, the ruler, and the enemies of that king will oppose us because of the message. The good news is that God promised us to give us power. We read that in Acts 1.8, that the Holy Spirit will come upon us to overcome that opposition. Point two, the Holy Spirit empowers us to overcome opposition to God's word. So what is the nature of the opposition to God's word? And how does God empower us to overcome that opposition to his word? Much has been made about what happened in Benghazi. Much has been made about whether we should have done more to protect our embassy. Much has been made about many things around that sad situation. It's good for us to understand the enemy. In military terms, to have intelligence about the enemy. So that we can understand how the opposition is going to come, so that we can stand against that opposition. It would have been better for a large number of security personnel to have stood against that invasion of our embassy and repelled it. Didn't happen. And oftentimes in our own lives, we find opposition to the Word of God in our own hearts and our churches, and we're overwhelmed by it. We're surprised by it. In a sense, it sort of comes against our faith. And I think the reason God has five verses here about that is because he wants to alert us. He wants us to understand the opposition. What is the nature of the opposition, and how does God empower us to overcome it? Well, let's talk about the nature of the opposition first. The opposition comes from a magician. You see that in verse 6? It comes from a magician. And this magician is also a Jewish magician false prophet. 
So right there you know there's some trouble. And his name is Bar-Jesus. Now, friends, a magician is one who uses incantations to try and influence transcendent powers to overcome public or private problems. Now, I'm I'm going to take a moment here because we're in Miami and it's Palm Vista. If I were even in Orlando, or certainly if I were like, you know, in Mississippi, I wouldn't even probably mention this. But I've got to talk about magicians and incantations. Yeah. And, and, you know, we all laugh when, when when I say santeria. But, you know, friends, santeria, curanderos, healers that use the the dark magic to to heal, voodoo, if you are from uh, Haiti, forget what they call it in Brazil. Um, They all are similar ways for people to try to use incantations in an attempt to manipulate the world through the use of the supernatural powers not from God. Please don't tell me you don't know somebody that cut off a chicken's head, put it in a bag, and threw it in a canal in Hialeah. (laughs) We laugh. But it's real, and it's wrong. Now, many of us have been exposed to these things through family members. You may have been taken to a curandero or a curandera when you were young, if you were sick. You find this a lot in the rural areas of Cuba that I've been through. If you ever see, folks, if you're not aware, if you ever see someone dressed totally in white, that's a priest or priestess of the Santeria religion. I think I heard that it's the largest religion in Cuba. The island. Um, So we've been exposed by that. We've been exposed, perhaps we've even consulted, maybe you've even consulted some of these people at some point. And maybe for some of you, not in the distant past. Remember, what is this all about? I want to manipulate this world through the use of the supernatural powers, not from God. So it's kind of like the rabbit's foot. It's kind of like, well, let me just try this, man. Things are going badly. I need a little help there. You know, I I believe in God, but maybe I'll just get a little extra help from some spirit over here I'm not aware of. Maybe you've done it for protection. Maybe you've done it out of anger. (laughs) Please don't raise your hand if you've done that one. (laughs) I'm sorry, forgive me. But, you know, you're mad at somebody. You want to put a curse on somebody. I don't know. In a group this large in South Florida, trust me, it's there. It's there. So what am I saying? I'm saying this. If you are afraid of that stuff, or if you even think, like, kind of, sort of, let me hedge my bets and do that stuff, stop it. Because Jesus Christ is the name above all names. Whatever you might benefit from that is illegal, it's wrong, it won't ultimately help you, it's bondage. Listen, listen, in Acts, you see these confrontations with these magicians, and you see the gospel overwhelm them. I mean, I mean this guy, uh, Simon, was no match for Peter in Samaria. We're going to see that Elymas is no match for Paul here in Cyprus. It's not because of that Peter or Paul had inherent powers. No, that's magic and that's wrong. No, no, they had the Holy Spirit. Later, we're going to see the burning of magic books in Ephesus, later in the book of Acts. The idea is, who are you trusting? Fear the one who has the power to save and destroy. And that's only God. That's only God. We cannot manipulate the world through techniques. And let me move now from the more radical, sort of sensational santeria, you know, finding chickens and headless chickens in bags in the canal behind your grandmother's house in Hialeah, to the more mundane. Friends, God does not want you to think that you can manipulate the world through your techniques or manipulate people or try to get what you want done and your will done by manipulation. It's in the same vein. God alone is sovereign over all matters in this world. And so it is he alone whom we should fear. It is he alone who rules. It is he alone. Who are you to play God? You may say, but I'm not a santero. Okay. 
But are you trying to manipulate things in this world apart from God? That's, in essence, what magic is. Well, this guy, Elemis, was in the service of the Roman proconsul Sergius Paulus. Right? We read that in verse 7. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus. What does that mean? Well, he's, he's probably a court astrologer, quote-unquote wise man. Magos, the Greek word for magic, the magi, okay? Uh, they're not always evil, please, okay? But the wise men, the, the, these guys that use the stars. This guy wasn't consulting God at all. He was evil. But he had the Roman proconsul's ear, Sergius Paulus. Who's Sergius Paulus? Sergius Paulus would have been the head of the Roman government in a senatorial province. So that island was a senatorial province of the Roman Empire. He ruled it. Pretty nice job. I mean, nice Mediterranean island. (laughs) You're the governor of that island. You're the authority of that island. You have the power of the sword to enforce the laws of Rome on that island. This Jewish false prophet, this magician, had his ear. Now it tells us in verse 7 something interesting, that he was an intelligent man, Sergius Paulus was. He was an intelligent man. Uh, that, that word has it, he's a discerning leader. Not all leaders were discerning and intelligent and good. They could do much harm. Apparently, this guy was a discerning man, a a, a good judge. But, friends, he was polytheistic. This is really your first truly pagan Gentile that we encounter. The rest of the Gentiles we've encountered have been kind of God-fearers. They've been kind of listening to Judaism, maybe attending a synagogue. This is the first out-and-out pagan. He is a polytheist. He is worshiping tons of gods. And it says at the end of verse 7 that he summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Now remember, what was the word of God? What were they preaching? Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Messiah. So perhaps Sergius Paulus, who's a polytheist, says, Hey, wow, there's another God. I want to know about him. Or, being a discerning leader, he's been hearing about the gospel being preached from Salamis in the east all the way down 112 miles to Paphos in the southwest. Synagogues, converts, there's a lot of action. There's movement. Wow, there's a new group of people. Maybe in Paphos, it's been a couple of weeks, and Paul and Barnabas have been preaching at synagogues, and there's a buzz in the street. People are being converted. There's baptisms. Hey, uh, bring those guys in. I'd like to hear what they're teaching. So for whatever reason, he calls them to come in. Let me just stop for a second. It's clear he was intrigued by this teaching. Some of you may be here this morning because you're intrigued by my preaching or our preaching. You're intrigued that that men would get up here and be so animated about ancient history, 2,000 years old. You may be amused at the stupid things I sometimes say, or the loud voices I make. Oh, friend, you may be here because you, you want to learn more about it. Thank you so much for being here. But if you're not converted, I pray that God would call you past curiosity to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, the one and only true God, the Savior of the world. Back to our story. Sergius Paulus, he wanted to hear what these guys had to say, but Elymas would have nothing of it. Look at verse 8. But, that's an important word, circle that. But, it's like the, 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 the action comes to a grinding halt. Everything's good, the word's prospering, people are being converted. Sergius Paulus, who's the ruler of the whole place, wants to hear us. Hey guys, we're going to preach the gospel on like national television to the leader of this island. Yay! But, the guy who has his ear, Elymas, would have nothing of it. But Elymas, the magician, for that was the meaning of his name, opposed them, opposed them, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. The opposition to God's word always seeks to turn people away from faith in Jesus. 
Whether it's believers that need to ongoingly trust Jesus and believe in Jesus and have faith in Jesus every day. And there's an Elimaeus speaking in their ear saying, nah, nah, you don't believe that. Or whether it's unbelievers who God is going to convert and there's going to be that, that opposition of turning them away from the faith. No, no, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. No, no, no. Why did he oppose God's word? Why? Because he knew it would bring an end to his influence with the proconsul. Because he knew that what he was saying was a bunch of baloney, <laughs> was a bunch of philosophies of men, was a bunch of, of creations of man. A lot, some of it was even demonic in nature. And he knew what these guys were coming. Remember, he's a Jewish false prophet. So that means he probably understood the prophecies. He understood what Barnabas and Saul were preaching. He understood all the talk about Messiah. And he said, ain't no way. I'm letting these guys speak to him. Ain't no way. I know what's coming. Probably truth. And I'd rather keep this guy in the dark because then I have influence. What's the point here? In our world today, we experience the same. I mean, just, just a little drop for some of you. Fathers, when you determine to proclaim the word of God to your families, you will experience opposition from spiritual and at times physical forces, the metaphorical elemiases, who want to turn you and your family away from the faith. Brothers and sisters, when you get up each day to read the Bible, to hear the word of God. Just know this, that all kinds of opposition will come against you to turn you away from growing in faith. Your schedule, physical weariness, sports center highlights, NBA.com. Oh, maybe not you. <laughs> and if you, if you allow them to turn you away, in a sense, you're allowing them to turn you away from faith because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. I will not get more faith by watching the Sports Center highlights. Nothing wrong with it. It's not evil. So, what's going to happen? There's opposition to the Word of God. What do we do? What did Paul do in this circumstance? Well, let's pick it up in verse. Nine. There's another but. But. So, bam. Jarring stop. Bam. Another jarring stop. So, you got guys trading punches. It, this is a power encounter. Elamis says, no way. Paul says, yeah way. Let's see who wins. Why does everything always devolve into fighting with me here in illustrations? I don't know. I didn't even plan that illustration. So, Saul stands up. Notice his name is Saul at the beginning of this verse. And it's Paul at the end of the verse. So something happens here. You should pick up on that. But Saul, who was also called Paul. Let me stop right there. Why would Saul, who is also called, why would Saul's name be changed here to Paul? And by the way, this is it. It's going to be Paul for the rest of the book of Acts. Well, here's a thought for you. Who's he speaking to? The Roman proconsul. Pagan. He's a pagan. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. So could it be that as Paul is about to now be filled with the Spirit, and we're going to see this major confrontation with Elymas, and he's speaking to this Roman proconsul, that it's this, this change of name is really it's pointing us to his role as the apostle to the Gentiles. He's no longer Saul, his Hebrew name. He's Paul, his Latin name. So Paul... Speaking as a Roman citizen to Sergius Paulus, the Roman proconsul, using his Latin name Paul, begins to speak. But before he speaks, friends, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. What's the difference between Elymas and Paul? Elymas claims that the power comes from him. He's a magician. Paul is going to say the power comes from God via the Holy Spirit. Huge difference. Huge difference. So Paul stands up, filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to confront the opposition to God's word. Paul was not filled with anger. He wasn't filled with his own opinions. He wasn't posting on Facebook his spleen. 
but he was filled with the Holy Spirit. This means that he would speak God's word, God's judgment on this opponent of God's very gospel. Paul's not just venting here. I mean, we read this, and some of us would just love to say to people who have been giving us a hard time with the gospel, or perhaps a public figure that's been giving the gospel a hard time, we'd want to say, you son of the devil! Some may even say other things. (laughs) But that's not the spirit of this. Before you start calling someone the son of the devil, make sure you're filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying there aren't times that we do that. There are. Please hear me. Let's make sure the Holy Spirit's leading you to do that. Not your anger. So, what is, how does he confront this guy? Well, the first thing he calls him, as I just mentioned, is the son of the devil and an enemy of all righteousness. Interesting. One of his names, Bar-Jesus, is actually Aramaic for, you guessed it, son of Jesus or son of Joshua. So Paul, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the sermon that comes by the Holy Spirit, says, you are not a son of Jesus. You're not a son of Joshua. Let me just call it the way it is. You are the son of the devil. You are an enemy of all righteousness because righteousness comes from Christ alone. Son of the devil, that word devil, diablas. It describes one who engages in slander. It describes an adversary. Application, brothers and sisters. That which opposes the word of God in our lives and seeks to turn us from faith in God is adversarial thinking toward God. It's that which slanders God. And get up in your own heart and call it the son of the devil that it is. And stop listening to it. Because its one purpose is to slander God. Now, I'm familiar with slander these days. Didn't choose to be familiar with it, but I'm familiar with it. And it's vile. It's, it's lies. Now, we are all wicked, so even if some of the things they say about us are lies, there's probably enough other bad things that people don't know that, pff, big whoopee, you know? I'm bad. I'm not that bad, but I'm bad. But God is not. God is perfect. He's right. And to slander him, that's, you're his adversary. And that's at the core of the opposition of the word of God. And you, friend, hear this. Don't buy into it. Don't buy into the lies, whatever they are, that, that, that go through your head that says, oh, God's not good. If he was good, he wouldn't have allowed that to happen to me. Or God's not good. If he were good, he would have given me this. When you find yourself thinking slanderous thoughts about God and accusing God like Job even did, and God says, Job, stop asking why, but ask who. The thought, where is God? Why hasn't he answered my prayer? Friends, this is the strategy of the serpent. This is the strategy the serpent used on Eve at the very beginning of time. Has God said, God isn't good. He's trying to keep you from being God. He has not given you all that you need. He's keeping that one thing he told you not to touch from you. It's slander. It's a pack of lies. We got to stand up and fight him. Because God's name's at stake. Oh, you know, how I, you know how I fight one of those lies? The very verse that Corey read. I didn't know he was going to read it this morning. Romans 8.32. I believe it's going to be up there on the screen. When that lie comes to me, that God is keeping something from me, when God is not being fair to me, when God is hurting me and allowed harm in my life, which I'm actually experiencing right now, and I'm tempted to say, why? I've got to read this again. He who did not spare his own son... That's God the Father and the Son is Jesus Christ, but gave him up for us all in a gruesome death on the cross, bearing the wrath of God that I deserve. How, how, how can you slander God, Al, by saying he will not also with him, Jesus, graciously give us all things? How can I accuse God of stinginess? Just because I don't get the money I've been praying for, or the job I want, or the growth I need. That's how the word is opposed in our lives. 
Paul goes on to call this guy one who is full of all deceit and villainy. Do you see that? In verse 10b, full of all deceit and villainy. (laughs) What is villainy? It's being a villain. Well, beyond that, it's fraud. So deceit and fraud. He's a slanderer, he's a liar, and he will defraud you. The enemy of God's word is just going to tell you a pack of lies and not deliver on the lies. How many times are we going to fall for it? Way too many, right? But it's God's word that speaks to this deceit, to this lie, these lies that are often embodied in, 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 in vain philosophies of man. Application for you. What are the deceitful lies, the slanderous villainy, the vain philosophies that you're attempted to believe, that you're tempted to allow to run your life? Lies about what is truly important. How we define success, for example. That, one's, that, one, that one greets me every morning when I wake up. My eyes open up and just, just loser. This is success and you don't have it, loser. I just got to grab it by the throat, punch it in the face, call it son of the devil, full of villainy and fraud, and tell it to shut up. So what a quiet time's all about. See, even my quiet times are violent. There's no hope for me. The lie that, you know, success is the numbers in your bank account. Success uh, is the place you live. Success is the car you drive. Success is the, are the clothes you wear. Success are the results you have. Success are the number of friends you have. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But he who fears the Lord. Where's that scripture? What do you say to yourself every morning when you wake up? Is it informed by the word of God or by the villainy and deceit of the opposition to God's word? By the vain philosophies of man? Think about what the Bible says to these vain philosophies. See, In this text, God wants us to see the contrast between a godly man or woman filled with the Holy Spirit like Paul, proclaiming what God's word says, with a deceitful, fraudulent man like Elymas, proclaiming, spouting vain philosophies of this world that look cool. Everybody looks happy over here. This looks like it's going to happen. It's the newfangled thing to get me what I want. But it's, it's fraudulent, guys. Look, what else he tells Elymas? You make the straight paths of the Lord crooked, making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. I believe there, that's a little harder to interpret, but I believe this is where the the opponent is trying to come against the salvific word that's coming to Sergius Paulus. I believe John Stott turned this phrase Elymas was guilty of causing perversion of God's word rather than conversion. So I think that's what that making the crooked, crooked the straight paths of the Lord. See, the enemy tries to pervert the pure word of God from leading others to faith in Jesus. Application, friends, where do you look for salvation? Where do you look for power to resolve your problems? Do you look for them in the word of God or someplace else? Today, there are so many places that offer answers and life on life and books, like the popular book, The Secret. And, and that's just a long line of popular books. How to win friends, influence people. How to, just you know, Dianetics. I mean, just whatever stuff you want to fill in the blank, whatever foolish, vain philosophies that really rich people pay a lot of money to dabble in, they're going to leave them defrauded. But you know, you don't have to be rich to dabble in them. We'll all buy a little self-help book, and you know, maybe God needs some help on this one. He, he's not coming through yet. Let me, let me help him out. I'm going to try to manipulate things. Does that mean you don't try to improve yourself? No, of course it doesn't. It's where's your heart? What are you trusting in? What are, your, what, are, what are your purposes? What are your principles? What's the bedrock of who you are, who you trust, who you're going to stand for? Are you going to stand with the word of God and preach it faithfully? That's what it's talking about. It's ultimately, there's life only in one name. We sang about it this morning. In the name above all names, that's the name of Jesus. 
He overcomes the enemies of our souls, Satan, the world system, and our flesh. And that is what we see here. We see here the hand of the Lord now coming against this man. And Paul is saying to him, verse 11, And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeing people, seeking people to lead him by the hand. I don't know if this is the case. I would love to think it were that the Apostle Paul, who himself had been blind for three days, and God spoke to him, and God knocked him down off of his donkey, and God adjusted his perspectives, and God put everything in order. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, this magician is going to be blind for a season because it says you won't see the sun for a time. And maybe during that time, God will speak to him. And I pray he did. And maybe during that time, he'll repent, just like some of you need to repent. You're in a mist right now. You're in darkness. You've tried everything. You've called everybody. But you're just trying to manipulate things to get what you want. Some are worse than others. They actually go to the santeros or they go to whatever. They're just anti-God. But some are just, it's just an, an anemic Christianity that doesn't really trust God or trust his word. And God wants to deliver you to what's true. And that's what the proconsul saw. This first totally pagan Gentile. This polytheist, it says there in verse 12, then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. What did he see? He saw the teaching of the Lord. He saw God judge the magician. He saw the very judgments of God through God's man, filled with God's spirit, speaking God's word, and judging all that would oppose God, and judging um, the, the magician and judging all this false prophet stuff. And, and, and he, just, he just saw it, man. I mean, God gave Paul the, his judgments and he spoke them. What amazed the proconsul wasn't that this guy was blinded for a few days. What amazed the proconsul was the teaching of the Lord. Look at it carefully. Don't miss it. He was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. I'm sure he was amazed to see a guy suddenly blind who was his court advisor who was the big deal in all the kingdom, walking around trying to find someone to lead him. The guy who used to lead Sergius Paulus now needs to be led. And that's what happens to you when you dabble in this stuff. You will become blinded, and you will lose your orientation, and you will be darkened for a while. And it is God's mercy to speak to you about it, that you would repent and receive light. In his light, we see light. Let me, let, let, me just, let me just ask us all here to be astonished at the teaching of the Lord. If there's one thing I want you to walk away from every Sunday, I don't want you to be astonished about how beautiful this place is. It's not. Or be astonished at even how I deliver this. Don't. But I want you to be astonished at this. I want you to love this. I want this to astonish you every day of your life, regardless of who teaches it. If it's taught faithfully, this is astonishing. May the word of God be on our lips, in our hearts and minds. And may those words be the power. May we trust in Jesus Christ himself. How do we overcome the opposition? By the power of the Holy Spirit, with the word of God in our mouths. God empowers us to overcome opposition to his word by filling us with his spirit to proclaim his word faithfully and boldly. It starts the first moment your eyes open in the morning. It ends the, the, the moment you fall asleep at night. You're proclaiming it to yourself, to your family, to others. You're boldly and faithfully proclaiming it. That's the overall message of Acts. The work of God is advanced in the world by spirit-filled messengers who proclaim the gospel faithfully and boldly. Let's pray. Worship team, would you join me here? Lord God, I I pray that we would be those spirit-filled messengers of your word. Lord, that you would give us the grace each day to faithfully proclaim the gospel to ourselves, to our families, and then boldly proclaim it to our communities. Spirit, come and empower us God's word in our mouths as his messengers.
Father, may we trust you in your word. May we declare it boldly. May we declare the name of Jesus and fear none other for only you can save and destroy. Lord, you are no respecter of persons. And as you filled Paul, and as he proclaimed your word, and as the opposition was overcome, and as souls were saved, your elect whom you had chosen. Oh, Lord, I pray that to happen. Lord God, I'm sure Sergius Paulus had one idea when he invited Barnabas and and Paul to come in. He was curious. He wanted to add another God to his pantheon of gods. He wanted to get more information about this teaching. He had no idea that you, the one true God, would totally change his life forever. And I pray there would be many Sergius Pauluses in our community, in our neighborhoods. Oh, God. You have a purpose for them. And you call us to preach your word. And your sovereign will will be done. As they hear and repent and believe in Jesus. So Lord, we just want to conclude by by just singing a corporate prayer. Lord, when you move, everything is changed.